This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Tacticam. Tacticam is by far the easiest way to begin filming your hunts. Whether it's the 4K 5.0 or the budget-friendly solo, Tacticam has something for everyone. Check them out at Tacticam.com. This year we're also working with Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge is machine learning for the deer woods. Basically, Spartan Forge takes collar deer studies, insurance car deer accident information, social media geolocations, and it couples that with weather, moon phase, and rut activity to tell you when or when not to be in the woods. This currently has an online interface at SpartanForge.ai, but the app is currently being built and set to launch late summer. Once the app goes live, you can expect there to be a price increase. But if you use code BOWHUNTER, you can save 25%, and that will stick with you as long as you use the Spartan Forge services. So head on over to SpartanForge.ai and get your free 14-day trial. All right. Hope everybody's having a great summer. We're back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. John is on vacation, so this one is myself, my brother-in-law, and we've got Nick Otto of the Huntivore. And we're talking about, uh, I guess, kind of one of the big things that's kind of been pulling at me the last um, maybe year, year and a half, is gear versus woodsmanship, marketing, kind of the whole... Um, social media space, kind of everything that's involved with that. So Nick has a podcast. Uh, He's in kind of more the hunting and cooking world, Um, but he sees all the same things on Instagram, subjected to all the same marketing and everything that we are. And my brother-in-law, he's, you know, Frank's son. He was up at the Total Archery Challenge with us, Um, hunts with me, hunts with hand-me-down stuff, Um, 
you know, he, he doesn't see as much of the marketing. He sees all of the stuff that we get, all of the products, all of the new things. And he's like, oh, look at that, look at that, look at that. And uh, it's just a great discussion, um, you know, and it's a fun chat too. So I think you guys are really going to like this one. Um, but real quick, just got to say, you know, for all of our Patreons out there um, that have been jumping in our Marco Polo group, if you guys are one of our Patreons and you're in that, we've been having some great discussions about uh, distance driving to public land and kind of uh, releases and all sorts of that stuff. So if you guys are Patreons and you're not utilizing that, we got about half of the people in there. Um, definitely a great place, uh, kind of like a real-time forum without all the the Facebook bullies and everything. People are just really in there trying to help. So uh, check that out if you haven't gotten into it. And if you don't know what Patreon is, Patreon is uh, crowdfunding for creators. Um, basically, uh, they support us and they get the most input on the show. Um, most of these episodes that we've got coming up are based on you know, things I've pulled them and said, hey, what do you guys want to hear from? Hey, these people are interested in being on the podcast. What do you think? Would you like to hear from them? Um, things like that. So, uh, but basically, again, crowdfunding, they support the show and we give back as much as we can. We do quarterly giveaways. One is coming up, uh, going to be next week as soon as John gets back and we're going to get to giving away that bow. Um, I got back from vacation and then all of a sudden John's on vacation. So I didn't, I didn't realize that, um, but we're giving away that B-Stand uh, Tacticam 5.0, oh, excuse me, a Tacticam Fisheye package, um, Tacticam Fisheye package, and uh, those fisheyes, fully submersible, super awesome, I mean, wide angle, works with the remotes, uh, price point camera, at, you know, just under 200 bucks uh, comes with a head mount, which uh, we utilize during turkey season. Uh, but a great, like I said, I think that's going to be the Tacticam solo killer. Pair that with one of the Tacticam 5.0s. That's great. They're giving away one of those packages. Base Map is giving away one of their packages. We're going to have them on. If you haven't checked out, you know, if you, if you have Base Map and you haven't checked it out in a while, uh, there's been some updates and they've got this range estimating. Uh, feature on there now that is just incredible really really cool um, even if you got the free version i believe it's on there so go download it um, if you want to use it you can use our code uh, chronicles save you 20 percent. you have to go online to do that but that makes it two dollars per month so 24 dollars for the entire year for the entire country tons of layers um, they give away one of those packages um Let's see, what else are we giving away? We're giving away one of the Spartan Forge packages. That app is just about out. Uh, Bill is getting ready to retire from the Army. He's a warrant officer in the Army. If you guys aren't familiar with Spartan Forge, um, go back, listen to that podcast. Go on YouTube, and, and you can see the there's a Vitals Live webinar on it. Um, there's our podcast that we did. Um, but that app is getting ready to come out. And as soon as that app goes live, it's going to be a little bit more expensive. Um, you can use code bowhunter. You save 25% and that'll be for the entirety. And that's not a monthly fee or anything like that. That's a one-time deal per year. Um, they also have a veterans hunt coming up here in November where you're going to get to hunt with, um, you know, some of the pro staff, pro staff. I mean, you've got, uh, Andy May, Taylor Chamberlain, Greg Litzinger, Johnny Stewart, a um, bunch of guys, uh, Garrett Prawl, 
a, b- a bunch of uh, good friends, uh, Parker McDonald, those guys are all um, pro staff, and uh, that Veterans Hunt is going to involve as many of those guys as can make it. And uh, definitely be looking out for that. We're going to have a podcast coming up with him. But we're giving away one of the Spartan Forge memberships. Zinger Fletchings shot those. If you listen to the last podcast, all up to Total Archery Challenge. Um, very impressed, even impressed John, giving away uh, a set of those. So just a ton of stuff. We try and give back as much as we can because we do appreciate um, everybody that helps support the show, helps us to go to things like the Total Archery Challenge. It helps you. Uh, this podcast was edited on a program that I've purchased with, you know, the Patreon funds. You know, it helps to make this show better every single time. Um, and we do really appreciate it. You can check that out at Bowhunter Chronicles Podcast and click on the Patreon tab. It's on our Instagram. Or you can go to patreon.com forward slash Bowhunter Chronicles Podcast and see what that's all about. Um, but again, this podcast is about um, kind of like how we view the industry. Um, and then also uh, Nick is a into, like I said, his podcast is cooking and it's 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 after you've, you know, you put slapped your tag on it. Now what do we do? Um, that's what Nick does. Uh, but we get into an interesting uh, conversation about salvaging roadkill and uh, eating roadkill and uh, all that. I know you guys are going to love this one. Thanks for listening. Tell a friend. Tell somebody else. Tell them that it's okay to eat roadkill. But thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks for listening. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast, and it is just Adam tonight, um, kind of what you're, uh, I guess as far as like what you're used to. Uh, John's on vacation now, and uh, so I'm left holding the bag here trying to figure out uh, what we can do for a podcast for this week, uh, but I got a really cool topic um, that I kind of wanted to talk about, and I want to talk about... Um, like the the outdoor marketing and gear and some of the stuff um, you know that we're bombarded with every day and and this is going to sound odd from a guy you know we we don't do hard sells on stuff and we don't have like a ton of we try to have only people that we like kind of believe in their products or like people that we that are new or or something that people want to hear about so we've got a ton of product podcasts coming up um, but right now what I'm struggling with is that. You know, do these products actually help you kill deer? Um, and so this is a guy, this is coming from a guy that has a uh, garage full of saddles. I think we've got like 10 saddles plus now. I've got, you know, multiple sets of sticks. I've got, uh, you know, a couple climbers yet. I've got, you know, we're giving away one of the, the beast stands and, and everybody wants to try out this gear. Um, but how does that gear really help you? So, uh, from that, I, I think I, w- I want to talk kind of tactics and uh, like the woodsmanship side of it uh, versus gear, old versus new. And uh, so, with me today, I have um, sitting here uh, in my basement recording the podcast, uh, my brother-in-law, Chris, uh, Uncle Frank's son. And uh, he's he's kind of come along this journey and he's a great guy to have with this because he grew up like when I first met him and you know my wife and everything um their garage and it still is like cabela's like you could go in there and pick anything out but there was a lot more woodsmanship and it was a lot less centered on this gear is going to help me um so we'll go through that and then we also have on the line nick otto the huntivore 
um, who is in the same space here with uh, podcasting with the, you know, we're on Instagram. We follow a lot of the same people. Um, you know, oddly enough, he said, you know, he got the call up to the big leagues to come on our show and, uh, he hosts his own podcast on the Sportsman's Nation, you know, one of the largest outdoor, uh, podcasting networks out there, if not the biggest. So, uh, we've got him and we're going to kind of transition this also into a little bit of cooking. Chris is a, a big uh, cast iron guy, and I know that that hits home with Nick. Um, so uh, how are you doing tonight, Nick? Oh, I'm, I'm doing great. Um, just got the camper parked at the camping spot. We're, we're off with the family. Actually, the kids took off on a bike ride with mom. So uh, I get a little time to yeah spend over here with the bow hunting chronicles guys i'm i'm really excited to talk it's not often do i get to talk about gear so this is going to be fun yeah so i guess from from that standpoint um like what is your style of hunting and in, in public private um mobile hunting uh how does that all um come together for you in a normal season um I'm in a very unique situation where I live at the piece of property that I hunt and that chunk of property backs right up to, uh, public. So I can play the public private game very easily, um, without too much, um, I would say travel time. It's literally my backyard that, you know, I can just go for hundreds and hundreds of acres. Uh, so, being able to swing onto public when things are really uh, lush and warm during the early season. And then when things start to get a little bit of pressure as things heat up through October, I can, I can bring him on home and uh, be more on the, the private side. Um, once, once a lot of arrows start flinging through and a lot of guys are in the woods. So I can, I can play the pressure on private. And at the same time I can come and be, as isolated as I can be on a piece of piece of private land. And then Chris, let's get a little bit of a introduction to you and like your hunting history, as far as, um, style of hunting, hunting equipment, um, and like how you go about, uh, each and every year for hunting. Well, you, I mean, you have to be consistent with whatever you hunt, but you, to me, you don't need the top dollar equipment to do it first. When it comes down if you're going to hunt animals, you have to learn that animal first, at least before, I mean, you can have the best of gear, like you're saying, but if you don't know what an animal does, you're not, it's going to be very difficult to kill it. And then unless you're feeding it in some way or, or doing that. So if you're naturally just going into the woods, I was always taught find sign first. That's, that's the number one rule. If, if you, you know, if you find sign, chances are they're either going from bedding or to food or to water. Out of those three things, um, other than that, I've never had a whole lot of private to really hunt. So it's it's always been very, it, it, not difficult, but a lot harder, I guess, than other people have it. But that was the first thing that my dad always taught me was to find the sign. Then from once you find the sign, then if you want to start hunting individual animals, like, for instance, bucks rather than does, then you start finding buck sign. You start finding whatever else, and you follow that along. So with that being said, I've hunted with, and I'm still hunting with hand-me-down stuff. Um, you know, if you if you can't afford it, but yet it's still good, why not use it? 
you know, and if you get more consistent with that, then, then you can get to whatever you want with it. That's the sky's the limit, I guess, nowadays with equipment and everything along with that. But that's, that's always been my main goal first is, is find the sign of the animal and where it lives first. And then, then go from there on what you want to do with it. And so what is your, your hunting setup as far as, is it, are you hunting like preset stands? Are you hunting uh, mobile? Are you hunting? Oh, it's, it's, it's definitely mobile. I'm still hunting uh, a two piece loggy bayou stand, um, you know, pack in, pack out. And that's, uh, that's why it's, it's getting more difficult every year watching you guys carry all the saddles and, and the lightweight stuff going in. And I'm, I'm definitely thinking about switching to something like that and everything, you know, I think it'll be a lot better, you know, physically wise, just walking in and out. But other than that, I still think I can get into most positions that people could with the saddle, except for, I mean, obviously certain trees I can't get up. I need a pole tree or something like that to get up without trimming or anything like that. But, um, still, I mean, very run of the mill average stuff though. You know, I'm not shooting very expensive arrows. I'm not shooting thousand dollar bows. I'm not, you know, it's, you just got to practice with what you have. That's more or less what I, you know, being successful. And then for you, Nick, as far as the, you know, you said you were going on to public and then coming back onto the private, um, what's your hunting setup and what's your go-to as far as, um, you know, during those different types of the year? Um, recently this past year, I did make a change to a saddle, um, and off of a, a climber. So I was in Chris's situation. I had a, a, an old man, uh, climber. I actually really liked that. That hammock seat was very comfortable. Um, but at the same time it was made all out of steel. It wasn't out of aluminum. Um, it was heavy and having a chance at one of the, I think it was a BHA event. Actually, I think you were helping me set up in it is I got to shoot an arrow out of, uh, out of one of the saddles and really getting a chance to just play with it, go up a tree a little bit, climb up a stick, kind of figure out that system, um, really, really helped. And so when I do go on to private early, it's, I get a chance to go out into some really thick patches where I've just seen traditionally animals be and rather than have to take back uh, a setup or leave a setup on uh public i can just scurry out there climb up the tree in the area that i wanted to be in wait for the deer um roughly about that you know second week it's like all right there's i'm seeing more flashlights i'm seeing more trucks so i just kind of bring it on home closer into the private and it really kind of opens the window um, of like, like what Chris was saying, he's got to find a pole tree where I'm climbing in spots that traditionally I've looked at, but I was like, ah, that's either going to have to be a hang on or I'm going to have to figure out something because the climber's not going to get up there. I don't want to cut all that cover down. So I've eventually just had to move on. So having the, the Phantom has really opened up spots that I've known, I've seen, but just haven't figured out how to get into those yet so i guess where are you at then nick with all of the the marketing and the hype and all of these you know you know i've we're gonna have the guys from the 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 dryad saddle which is that complete hammock thing and chris got to see one of those up at the uh at the total archery challenge and I, you know for me i thought you know 
this thing's got to be a joke. It's ridiculous. And uh, how many know. guys are going to fall asleep in that thing? That's where I'm. I'm thinking because yeah, how many how many deer do you see today? Well, I none on the inside of my eyelids. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you know, I've I talked with um with the guy uh, that that's that's behind it. I can't think of his name right now. Um, but, uh, you know, really nice guy. And, and, and I got to see one, you know, some of our patrons are on his field staff or they're, they're helping him develop some of the, the things that off of the generation one. Um, and you know, but there's that, there's the flat branch outdoors. There's, you know, latitude, tethered trophy line, arrow hunter, wild edge, and everybody's trying to sell you the newest, latest, greatest one. Um, and these Facebook forums and everything and everybody's arguing over which one's better or which one's the best. And, you know, I, I've, I've kind of come to a point like now where I'm just thinking like, at, at some point I have to say that this is enough. Like what I have is good. It's working. Um, and I need to spend more time in the woods, like the going to the same spots with the same, with, with upgraded gear, um, isn't necessarily gonna gonna move the needle for me. And to me, saddles are almost like shoes in a way. Like you can't say like, so if somebody's feet are built different, you can't say, hey, this shoe's the best shoe for it. Well, it might be completely different for this person. It's the same as saddles. People are built so different in shape and size and everything else that you can't just say, hey, this. I think this saddle's the top of the line. It's going to be the best for everybody because it, the way it fits, it rides, and everything else. To me, that's how you know. Yeah, and and to that same point, like it isn't even it isn't even like the saddle is the the end all be all. I mean, you know, upstairs in the box we got like say one of Dan Infault stands, and uh, you know that we're giving away the Lone Wolf custom gear stuff. I mean, they're super it's, lightweight. It's you know, there's stuff. nothing to it. You know, uh, Warren Womack, you know, hunted out of lock-ons and killed you know multiple hundreds of deer out of that. And I don't. How many guys are still of like the old Darton army of, you know, they got decade, two decade old bows that are still slaying deer. Like we, all these advancements, even with the bows, even transitioning into um, what you guys are talking about with the saddles. It's like, you know, there's the stuff that we saw is still working like that, that mentality or that type of equipment is still working, but we've now yeah, how much are we just buying into hype going in with the latest and greatest? Ooh, this is out. This is going to make things easier for me to kill deer. They, they really have a good creative uh, amount of people helping, you know, persuade you to upgrade each year. It's uh, funny you mentioned it that way. Actually, I have a buddy this year that killed one with uh, his dad's. I, I don't know the year of the bow, but it's an old school firefly with aluminum arrows. Same setup that his dad had, you know, in twenty 90s, some yeah, early twenty 90s. thirty years ago, and he shot another deer with a he killed a, a nice young buck with it this year again, you know, and it's just like you look at that and it comes back to like I said consistency and everything else, you know. So so Nick, with with that that being said, and you know you're you're talking about the the, the Darton Army and like that sort of stuff, like where are you at? Because like I said, we're seeing the same stuff. And we're in the same space. Like you have a podcast, and you're you're involved in all of this. Like, where do you stand on like the marketing or 
or the 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 skills or like you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and it's this whole. I don't think we can say verse now. Like when we say tactics, verse gear, it's. I think verse is the wrong term, but at the same time, it's a great way to open up this conversation because how many people do we see that? Yeah, they, I'm going to hunt this year, fresh out of everything. I'm first generation hunter and I need to go get this, this, and this because I've watched a whole bunch of YouTube. I've been on the forums. I listened to this bow hunter Chronicles episode Mm -hmm. and apparently I'm supposed to like, go and get the best strings ever somehow and get John Dudley's hair wrapped inside of it. (laughs) It's, you can go off the deep end and have all the latest and greatest, but it's not going to, like Chris was saying, help you find the deer. There's, there's gotta be an education first as to what you're going to be able to do. So I watch, I watch a lot of stuff in the food world And I mean, they're almost, even though there's not that many infomercials anymore, like, you know, you look at the, the latest and greatest air fryer or whatever, but like, if you haven't fried anything before, what good is that going to, what good is that going to do you? Or you're, you're getting into, you know, getting into barbecuing. Great. Um, why don't you get yourself, uh, a drum barrel or, um, get you a Weber and kind of do this side by side. No, no, no. I'm going to, I'm going to jump to chapter five and get myself a Trager and then be able to cook things right off the get go. Um, there's a, there's a learning curve there. Whereas if, if you understand and learn things from the first couple chapters, you learn to then appreciate and really hone in the skills from the higher end stuff. So you start out with a Traeger, you learn how to turn on smoke, and then only thing you can do now is smoke on that thing. You're you're a one-trick pony. But at the same time, you go through you, you know these barbecuing steps with like a, a Weber or you, you know you use one of the drums and you go through the the babysitting stuff where you got to watch it and you got to make sure you keep temperature and then you step up into a tragger and you're like, holy smokes, this sucker controls the temp. Well, now I can take the time that I was messing with fire, messing with coals, messing with air. I can now put that into making a glaze. I can put that now into making a side dish or playing with different woods that I normally wouldn't do. So to jump in, I would say with all the latest and greatest, I think you're missing out on the nuances that you get from the basics. Chris, does it sound like we're on the same page? That is 100%. Like I'm sitting here shaking my head, looking at Adam going, I can't, I I can't agree with you more. (laughs) You know, I mean, and that's the thing. Like, so 100% what you're saying with the Traeger and everything. And it's, don't get me wrong. They are amazing. They, They are an amazing piece of equipment, but it comes back down to like, you're saying babysitting a coal fire for the right amount of heat to try to get that meat to hit a certain amount of heat and everything else. And then whether you're wrapping it or doing whatever it's, you're at the same concept. So the, the knowledge that you already learned about cooking before you even hit the, the Cadillac of cooking is, you know, but, but as you go back through that and like, 
I'm thinking about it. I'm I'm watching Chris because Chris is a hundred percent that guy. And 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 the listeners, that's another reason. Like I'm just waiting for this thing to explode into a, a cast iron cooking tangent, um, <laughs> because these these two guys are very very similar um, in that. And that's why it's going to be super fun. Um, but I'm just thinking about like like the the two things parallel in such a way as the you know right now i'm thinking about you know coming up on 4th of july weekend and like chris and i went on a three and a half mile journey to find the spot where one of my trail cameras is at right now and i'm going to go back in there this weekend and it's going to be hot and humid there's going to be ticks and bugs full of ticks it's going to be not fun and that isn't as sexy as buying a new RX five or, you know, getting the new saddle because I can't, I, I can post, I mean, some of those things are like very visceral things, right? So I can post dumping the water out of my boots on social media, but it won't get as many likes as if I post up my new bow or, you know what I mean? It, it, it's not, it's not as sexy. It's not as cool. Like, and that's the part about, I guess both because I, I, I've burned so many pieces of meat cooking on charcoal, trying to get that temperature right. And I said, I'll get the temperature right. And then it goes too high. And then the meat gets too hot. And then I'm just balancing because of the, the amount of charcoal, the oxygen, the way that that temperature starts to rise. And then once it really takes off, it spikes, but I've been trying so hard to get that temperature, but it's the same thing with hunting is like, you know, I have to imagine that we've all been there on that that piece of public land or whatever, like where you're you're starting to to hone it in and you're starting to figure out like this is the spot and this is where I need to go. And then as soon as you think you've got it figured out, you get to that spot and then you see a whole bunch of trail eyes or you see you know a, a lock on stand or you see hunter sign or you finally go in there to sit the sit that's going to be the one, and then here comes the flashlight, you know, and, and those are the hard hurdles to kind of, to, to say, okay, well, that isn't as fun as buying new stuff and trying new stuff and getting lost out in the gear. And I've heard it said about like, say motorcycles is a good example. Like there's a lot of people that like motorcycles or like the idea of having a motorcycle, but they don't like riding them. And I, I, I think, I think that there's some, some of that in hunting where guys say that they're hunters and they really like to hunt, but maybe they like to just go to deer camp and drink beer. Maybe they just like the experience. Maybe they just like being involved in a community, but all of that really hard stuff, you know, they don't like doing that. They don't like putting in the miles. They don't. They don't like that sort of stuff. So I think maybe that's how those two parallel, I would say. It does. It does. I see what you're saying too. Like, you know, well, at the same point, you're already in your stand. You've got three-year-old camo on, or in my case, I'm, I'm wearing eight-year-old camo and you know, things are starting to get hot during October and the guy coming in has one of the brightest flashlights ever and he's probably wearing Sitka, but at the same time he slept in. Like there's a, a thing in there that, you know what? Well, what, man, I, 
I'm out here with the old stuff. New guy with all the new stuff comes in and he, he's wrecking it all. But at the same time, like it comes down to like, well, it's you know, me versus him, me versus him. And it's, you can't control them. You can't control what other people are going to do, especially in a public land setting. And even with the new technology that's out there, there's a lot of things that are going into, into systems and I appreciate systems and I appreciate, you know, you got cell uh, trail cameras that, you know, gets put right to your phone. You've got space age technology in, in everything. But at the same time, like, I think a little bit of that ownership is lost or understanding is lost when things get complicated. So if I'm wearing wool, I know that I'm going to get heavy when I get wet, but I'm going to stay warm. If I'm, if I'm working on an old, or if I'm taking out an old bow, then great. I can, you know, I got a whisker biscuit that can't fail. I got fixed pins that can't fail. You know, actually right now I've made the change to a prime bow and I've got a slider on there. So I've instantly made it more complicated that it's going to be a specific shop that if something goes wrong with the bow, I got to take it in. If the slider malfunctions, well, that's going to screw up all the pins at that point, but it all looks so cool. And I think having gone through all of the effort with the older bow and then getting the new one, I appreciate the new stuff versus the new guy who comes in with the brand new latest and greatest. I don't think there's going to be that appreciation thing. But at the same time, I I almost have to turn it inwards to say, what can I control? What is going to work for me? And you know what? Like like Chris was mentioning, you know, it's comparing apples to oranges. Although I would say my bottom is more of a pear shape anyway. So (laughs) what what fits me is not going to necessarily fit Adam. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I, I just, I'm struggling, you know, in the sense of, I feel like I'm in a, I don't know, I'm in like a, a paradox here. Like, we talk about all of these, this gear, and we talk about all this stuff, and we look at all of the new stuff, and we get like somewhat mesmerized by it. And then we talk to these really great hunters and take that information away. But at the same time, we're essentially um, opening up, you know, Pandora's box to all these guys to have the exact same ideas as we do to, to look at these same spots. Now, we may not hear and interpret the same things the same way, and we may not hunt the same areas. But when we do go to a new area, we know, you know, if I talk to a like-minded person, like up at the Total Archer Challenge, and we're talking about, you know, places to hunt or whatever, you know, we're automatically talking about saddles, not saddles as a a hunting tool, but as a land feature, oxbows, we're looking at funnels, you know, we're looking at inside corners of fields and, you know, we're, we're looking at all these same things, buck bedding and balloons and all the things that go along with that. And I think a good example of that is, you know, Chris and I have hunted together a lot and I try and tell him, you know, cause he, he grew up, all of his tutelage was from Frank from the time he was started. And so as I get into 
more of this like higher level hunting a specific age class of animal or looking for bigger deer, you know, looking at maps and trying to explain things to Chris, he's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And now I feel like this year, as you're going out and doing more fishing, because Chris is real big into fishing. Between fishing and mushroom hunting, it was, yeah. But it was like, because there's one spot where I was telling him, like, this is where I would look. And you just kind of ended up there. And you're like sending me pictures, like oh my god, yeah. It was so. And during a, I I was trout fishing, and I was probably I would walk almost a mile away from the truck, drop down into the creek bottom, and fish all the way back. Well, you're already down below ground level most of the time, and on one of these peninsulas or oxbows, just like you were explaining, I had to get out of the creek to come around a log jam, and all of a sudden, I I literally fell right into one of the biggest buck beds I've ever seen in my life. And it was, whether it was the one that did the rubs on the trees right next to it or anything, but then when you stop and look at the layout of the land, the way the wind would probably be blowing and everything else, it's like it all made sense. It all clicked right into why that animal was laying right there. It was it was really neat to know why that happened. As to where anybody else that didn't know that, they would just walk right through that clump of grass and them two trees and be like, they have no idea what they're, you know, we're in some nasty stuff. (laughs) (laughs) But they have the Orvis waders on with a Sitka (laughs) underlayer and yeah, they walk right through. They never saw it. For sure. For sure. That's so cool, Chris. I love that story. Yeah. And well, and then probably a month before that I was mushroom hunting and I walked around a giant swale just looking for mushroom spots. And I'm like, man, this is, this has to be, 100% 100% this has to be amazing deer bedding and as I'm saying that the wind shifts and three deer hop up 15 yards from me and they're looking at me and they're, they they can't tell I'm there yet but then the wind shifts again and they smell me and they just run away well then all of a sudden 15 yards away from that I find a buck rub on a tree that's bigger than a softball and I'm like well 100% this is like and I start looking around again and I'm like well it makes complete sense why everything's down in here in the swale and everything else so I mean it's it's starting to click together and make sense in certain things. And I think like that information, like that's what I'm saying. Like, so we're in this spot where we're trying to educate and we're, we're, we're learning just the same. So it's not like I'm trying to teach people like where to find this stuff. I'm learning on the same token and I'm trying to, you know, bring this information to bear, but it is like, you know, one of those things where it's like, I, I need to be better as for myself. And, but we're giving all the information, everybody's getting the same stuff out there. And I just feel like the, the information, the tactics, the boots on the ground, the, that just like exactly what Chris said was like to make it click. Because if we learned anything like from our elk hunting experiences is like, until you've until you have like tons and tons of experience like reading maps and then going and seeing what it looks like and putting the correlation in the two like a place can look like a great spot on a map but until you like set your feet there it it can be completely different like you know 180 degree shift from like what you thought it was going to be so being able to just read that stuff and go out there and do it it's like that's where your time and money and energy should be put is 
to actually getting out there and doing it and not on, you know, a $600 Sitka jacket or something like that. Being a, a podcast that deals with tons of products, like you were talking with Adam, um, like you guys, you do, you break down and it's like every episode, I want, I don't want to say every episode, but you know, the ep- next episode, you got someone who's going to talk about their latest and greatest. And then a few episodes later, you end up with someone new, similar lineup, and they now have the latest and greatest. Do you, do you sense that it's, it's more of an opinion at this point where like, you know, their stuff in 2020 is now been totally improved of it's obsolete to now here's the 2021 stuff. Uh, do you feel like there's being opinions kicked around at this point? Is it like Ford versus Chevy or are you really seeing like generational gaps between like, well, just to bring it home, like versus the first saddles they're in functionality to this now spread of six or seven companies that are out there that you're all that you're going through and being able to test and try out. Is it matter of opinions or is it really features and leaps in technology that we're looking at? So um, on the, on the saddle front, I think it parallels like the bow front, right? So the difference is, is it's much easier to go and shoot a multitude of bows. Now, maybe you can't shoot every single bow, um, but you can shoot five bows in a shop or, you know, two or three bows that you really want to test versus one another, where doing that with a saddle is a bit different. So with bows, everybody likes a little bit different back wall. Everybody likes a little bit different draw cycle. Everybody has a different... um, tolerance for hand shock or speed or, um, and so it's a very personal thing. Um, and I would say that the same is with saddles. So like I've basically completely taken myself out of answering anybody's questions on a public forum like Facebook, because I don't want anything to be perceived as, negative no that i'm um like bought and paid for that like we're in bed with any company whatsoever i mean i can legitimately say that i'm friends with a bunch of the people that have the saddle companies and that they're great people and you know they want just more people to saddle hunt and for the most part they all believe that they make a great product or the best product. And they also believe that there's enough market share for everybody to, to be there. But my main like question to whomever is asking this versus this is what is your hunting style and what is your experience with any saddle anywhere? Because someone who's been saddle hunting for 10 years or five years, or even the last four years, is going to have a different experience than the first person setting in a saddle the first time. So the first time that you hunt from any saddle, it's going to be way better than a, a tree stand experience, generally speaking. And I don't put tree stands in this category because on some level, I feel like there's 
a tree stand is a tree stand and a tree stand. So you're going to say, well, millenniums are different than lone wolves and this. Well, you've got cast stands, you've got ladder stands, and then I feel like you've got everything else. Like millenniums have a nice seat, but they're, you know, you're still going to get your pops and pings and everything like that. Cast stands, you're going to have, you know, less noise. So those are kind of like somewhat of a one trick pony. It's, you know, there's a little bit of user thing, but you're not going to get in one tree stand and be like, I hate this one, but this one's the best, you know, outside of, you know, weight and, and, you know, those features I've already talked about. But with a saddle, the more you sit in it, if you're the first time saddle hunter, you're going to be like, man, this is great. This is a way different experience. And then as you sit in it, you're going to be like, oh man, this one kind of binds here. Or if, if I was going to redesign this, I would change it here. I would change this or man, this thing's pretty bulky. I wish there was a smaller version or like wish it was, there was less material here. Um, and I think that that's what's happening. I think that, you know, tethered, obviously they took all the things that they wanted and they put it into the manis. And then they hunted with that and it was great. But then after a year or two years, so say a year or so of testing and then a year of production, they said, now that we've made this saddle, these are the things that I would change about it. Then you've got, you know, Trophy Line came out with their second version and how they would change theirs. And they started with their relaunch of their original products because they knew that they wanted to stay true to their trophy line brand. They had loyal supporters that just wanted the same trophy line. And they knew that they were going to have to come out with something different. And they did. And they came out with something that that is still more of a, a trophy line, but it has, you know, the upgrades that they thought that they needed and what they did. And then with Latitude, you know, Latitude came out with the first real full um, not just webbing um, saddle, you know. So they it has panels and, and everything. And so now you've got the, the Cruiser Archon. Um, you've got the um, Flat Branch makes one. And there's one that's called like Overwatch Outdoors that's pretty slick. Um, that's a two-panel like that. So what we're seeing is different variations of that. Now, I think a lot of people are saying there is a big market and there has been an issue with supply. So these other companies, I think, are jumping into the fray. So I don't think it's necessarily like Ford versus Chevy. Um, but I think in your major players, they're the ones that are changing changing things for the actual hunter and not just trying to jump into the game. And I think that that's where some of these smaller guys are. Um, but that's why I think that 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 dryad saddle is just something that's so completely outside of the box that that's why I want to talk to them about it. And that's why I did talk to them. And, you know, um, it, it, the, it's just because it's, it's that much different. Like that guy didn't say, I'm going to get into the saddle market with this thing. I mean, he obviously believes that that's, you know, a superior product because of that, you know, it isn't a, it isn't a copycat thing. I mean, if that makes any sense as far as like what you're asking. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think we do, we get, I think we get hung up onto either brand or company or the, you know, this is, this is the new latest and greatest thing and everybody's going to have their own, own mix and match of it. But to like, I don't think it's one of those things where you're going to get, you know, the most chance on a big buck, uh, just by throwing money at it, you know, 
there are things that can be solved by throwing money at it. But I think with hunting and pursuing an animal, like Chris was talking, it's going to be, it's going to be one of those things where people who understand what's going on, they understand the situation. It's going to work out better with no matter the equipment that they have. But now if we can leverage that know-how, someone who has that know-how and woodsmanship can get into new and different spots because things are lighter or they can shoot more steady. You know, they're, they're jumping from their, their old Darton, let's say, and which can still kill deer to this day. I got a, I got a 2002, uh, Bengal, uh, it was a Martin Bengal sitting in my garage that I'm sure it's waiting to get back into the lineup at some point. But at that point, that, that thing can still kill deer. You know, these guys with trad bows, they're literally sticks and strings, whacking deer every year, getting close to big animals. But now that we can leverage the efficiency of this new technology, guys who put the work in are going to feel it. If you, you, you put me into a, well, think of everybody's first vehicle. You know, my first vehicle was an 87 uh, Chevy Silverado pickup. It had rust holes in the side that I, I was, that was for aerodynamics. <laughs> so air could pass into the box and then out the back where there was no tailgate. Like these are all vehicles that we learned on. And now that I can afford a new vehicle, I, I get a newer vehicle, newer to me. And now it's got bells and whistles. And I'm like, man, I appreciate this. If I've been lugging a, a hang on or a, a climber into the woods for 15, 20 years. And now all of a sudden I grab a saddle and man, I didn't put any effort getting up into that tree that there's an appreciation there when it's, I get, I'm making a generalization, someone new to the game who hasn't gone through the trials and tribulations, someone who hasn't tried to, as you were talking about control the fire inside of their smoker by hand, jump jump chapters forward the appreciation is not there but then at the same time who who am i to tell anybody that they can't go buy whatever they want that's that's completely fine i just think that the new stuff is going to be way cooler once you have previous experience well yeah but i mean i feel like so on on the the emotional side of it like you know, you put all your money and you've done all your research. And, and I think people get like so, so hung up on like what they bought and they don't, they, they want to stand behind that or validate it to their wife or their buddy or whatever, whoever. Um, you know, if you spend, you know, $300 on a saddle or, you know, when you think about all the stuff that was coming out with the Lone Wolf Custom Gear stuff where a, a stand and sticks was $1,000, you know. And people are like, well, you don't need that to do that. And, you know, obviously, we all know that that is not a precursor <laughs> to killing deer. I mean, there's been plenty, uh, plenty of deer killed without that. When I tell my wife I'm buying something, it is always a need. There is never a want <laughs> in the conversation. It is a need. Capital letters. <laughs> well, see, 
we need to, we need to have this conversation elsewhere because all you need to say you need to get into the thing is like it's for the podcast, honey. Like exactly, <laughs> it's not for me. No, no, no. I don't. I know I don't need that, honey. I don't even want that. But I, it's for the podcast. I have to it's for the podcast. You know that's you know so put that in your back pocket. <laughs> I, I think it's going to get thrown back as screw that podcast. That's what she's going to tell me. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but the but the thing is, is like that emotional thing. You put out your money, and you don't want to sound like you don't want to go back on that. Like, oh, you know, you said this was going to be the greatest, latest, and greatest thing. You know, all this stuff. And I don't know. Maybe, maybe to some people, it's it is that that motivation, or it is that it, it isn't it isn't the magic wand um but it, maybe it is that accountability thing like i spent a thousand dollars it takes this. the mental check almost to to be able to okay that's it you know and that's that's what i needed to do this yeah and and, and it's certainly possible um and and w- one of the things and man i don't know I'll, I'll have to talk to i'll have to talk to john about this um but this is one of the things that i that i've said um, a lot is about the scent lock stuff and the the John Eberhart um, extreme of that. I guess what is your take on that, Nick? Um, before I, I I spit my hot take on that. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, well, it's funny. My buddy has a he's got one of the earlier scent lock suits and he's he's a guy he he enjoys he enjoys hot spicy food the man the man's diet i mean he does great during the week but then man when it's cheat day the dude is all up on sausage all up on gravy and i mean he can eat eat with the best of them and so the funny thing is is he'll talk about he's like i'm sitting in the stand and you know I let out a few butt grunts and it's getting really warm over here. Um, and so we laugh about it and it's like, well, is that scent lock suit? Is that starting to turn into a balloon at that point? Are you actually holding in that much scent that you're actually getting inflation at that point? Um, and it's, you can make science say anything you want. I, I mean, you, right now, current events, you talk to somebody, well, I've done my own research on X, Y, Z, give it any current event that's out there. And at some point, it's just kind of like, you know what, we're going to we're going to bend statistics, we're going to bend science or find things that that make that validate what I wanted to say. So be it uh, folks that love like the ozonics machines that throw ozone over the top of them at the hunt. And if it works for you, I can't refute it because you just told me it works like you've seen evidence to prove that. And the same thing with like the scent lock. If, if you can keep everything inside and you say, you know what, I have seen, I have, you know, observed evidence that shows that that's right. Hey, more to you. I, I haven't gone that route and, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm going to, but at the same time, like, I don't know, you can kind of make any result up that you want given enough flexibility. Well, I mean, to that point, you could, you could say, you know, with the, all the Dan Infault stuff and the no wind and hunts and t-shirts and straight out of work and everything. And there's plenty of guys that do that, that, that are successful. And you can't argue 
John Eberhardt's wall at all. You know, I mean, he's no, killed. You cannot. But to the point of spending a thousand dollars on a, a Lone Wolf custom gear setup, um, or uh, in a four hundred dollar Ozonics machine, or going through all of the um, the Scentlock regimen, I almost feel like. It's like a lucky hat or a yeah. superstition or the same breakfast or, or whatever. Like, I feel almost like I would love, I, I don't think he would ever do it, but I would love to see John go out and hunt one of his hunts without the scent lock stuff. Because the man puts in so much time in the woods, just like we're talking about. So, you know, he, w- he attributes a lot of his success, you know, to the saddle and to the scent lock. But he spent so much time scouting his spots, looking at what the deer do. He's using, you know, these specific entry and exit routes every single time. That I think he's just that good of a hunter, and he happens to wear the setlock stuff. But it is what keeps it. You know what I mean? That that's what if that's yeah. what gives him the confidence. I mean, it. it that's just what it kind of like what it seems to me like the validation part of it because if the scent lock was really the thing and and anybody could go through all of that regimen but they still went and sat in the same spot every day and did you know sat in their ladder stand or you know they wouldn't have that same success and there's so much more there's so much more to it like the knowledge that the man has and the time that he puts in i think is almost more of a testament to any of the equipment. I don't I don't mean to name yeah. drop, but like for instance when you watch the hunting public, you know, those guys they they probably have the top of the line stuff, but yet they're shooting some of the biggest deer you've ever seen off the ground. They're shooting them off, you know, and that's the the, the skills of hunting come into it. It doesn't and like you're saying, I bet you I bet you John could kill them deer wearing a t-shirt, a white t-shirt. You know, with all the steps that he takes, like, and everything else. So, I mean, it, you, you don't necessarily need it, but if you need that mental check to to do it, then I, I guess that's that's what it is, you know. I got a perfect example to go along with this. Now, I, I'm not into the scent lock stuff, but as of 2016 was a very pivotal year because I took an off-the-shelf arrow with an off-the-shelf mechanical put it together because that's what the shop guy said or that's what i just pulled off the the shelf shot a buck in the shoulder and it ran off and i found my arrow later and i found a little pool of blood and never recovered the animal that was the last year that i i took a shot on an animal and and lost it and you you just have a, a whole like week of like restless sleep and feeling like crap and that was a moment where I, I said, I need to do something about my setup. And I really came down to that. I wanted to change my arrow. So 2017 became, or like the, the rest of 2016 into 2017 became, well, I need to do something about my arrow setups. And so having to go through and find, well, what, what arrow is going to be the best. So yeah, looking through all this marketing data, and being like, what do I select? And then through happen chance, I come across 
at that point he was pretty small and yeah name drop again i i jump into the the ranch fairy stuff and he's talking about this ashby formula and from that i'm learning about aeroflight i'm learning about what is it that kills animals why what what are some points that are going to make a deadly arrow and so yeah kind of jumping into that marketing even a little bit and saying like my mission my goal here is to create something lethal that's going to kill an animal and what's going to take this shoulder blade out of it i subsequently in addition to not only being able to create an arrow with you know i'm using a single bevel broadhead i'm i'm using a stainless steel insert i find myself now actually like creating my own arrows so i i actually fabricated a a, uh, a saw in my shop not that a shop couldn't handle it for me but now i have control of it this is what i want to do and i'm purposely buying the piece that i want but now i'm shooting through paper and this is something i didn't know before so i'm now gaining gaining experience through getting some of this marketing stuff and so now having the chance to use a new arrow setup that yeah is gonna it, it's with the latest and greatest stuff but since 2017 i haven't had to track an animal that i've taken a shot at if i've shot i've killed it and it has then dropped within sight and that's just been one of those like aha moments that you know, putting the work into it, having to find the research. If John has put in the research into the, the scent lock and he fully believes that it's going to make a change. Like, I think that's, I think it's making the change. Could he do it in the white t-shirt? Yes. But is that helping his confidence? And I equate that simply to even my arrow that I'm sure guys would be like, why the heck did you make a 650 grain arrow with a stupid, fixed blade single bevel broadhead and i'm gonna tell them like it brings me confidence yep, and 100%. i can tell you i can tell you 2017 2018 all the way up until this past year it's worked whether that setup is going to necessarily work for the next guy you know that that's to be seen but i've learned a heck of a lot about bows and arrows just in that uh little venture alone yeah, I mean, that's what I'm talking about. It's like, it, it is to some degree, you know, the 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 lucky hat or your, your lucky pair of socks, but at the same time... It's the mental check. But, you're, but again, it is the mental check, but in both cases, you know, with what you're doing and then, you know, obviously all the research and everything that John has done and put into to Scentlock stuff but you're doing it specifically in in turn like you said you learned more about bows you learned more about i'm sure you learned more about the anatomy of a deer and the amount of pressure that it takes to break and split bone and how the single bevels work and so you've learned that much more to give you that much more confidence in that so so i think you're right i think you know in that the the marketing you know isn't necessarily always a bad thing but I think I think one of the things also that we're we're dealing with, and I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast or not, but you know, you think, you know, ten or fifteen years ago, what was the Facebook marketing or Instagram or 
or podcasts or whatever, like how much marketing was available to us. You had to like actually go and buy something. Then you basically allowed them to market to you, you know, whether it's a magazine, a DVD, or you're watching the outdoor channel or, you know, even YouTube at, at that time, you know, we weren't seeing, and, you know, you talk about the hunting public or whatever, you know, hunting public born, raised, hush, and, you know, Midwest whitetail, Dan Infall, whoever, you know, maybe you've had the opportunity to meet some of these guys or talk to them. And, you know, they are, you know, for all intents and purposes, great people. And so now you have a connection with them and you want to support them through this, this marketing, but over this past, you know, decade or decade and a half, how much more marketing are we being, you know, exposed to, right? Yeah. I, I have a great, it, it was just a funny moment. It had me rolling because I thought it was super funny. So I'm watching YouTube and I got on to, um, I think it was one of the hunting public episodes and I'm watching and they're talking about how deep they got to go in they're, You know, they're going in super dark. They're all packed up and they're, they're heading on in. And then of course you see the little tab in the bottom ad in three, two, one kicks in the first ad was for K- for cam Ann or the cam uh side by side and how they could go anywhere and do all this stuff and it just had me dying because like literally 15 seconds ago like you know i'm want i'm watching guys on public land you know the the quads that they use are on their legs man like we're gonna hike in there and then boom side by side was the first thing that was marketed to me i thought that was just hilarious and and like like I say, you know, we were never like this is a whole new age of like the the way that this stuff is being portrayed to us, and you know they they do a, a hell of a good job at it, right? Oh yeah, it's it's hit it hits you all the time. I want to say like throughout a day, even I. I if you're with technology, somehow someone's trying to persuade you to go one way or another. I know here I'm sitting in a camp at the campground right now. Um, I've got my camper sitting right over here. I, I love my camper. I picked it out. I bought it. It has served us well, but dude, you come in and somebody's got some, you know, 2020 model or some new age thing. That's got, it's got three slide outs. Like, of course I'm going to walk by there and I'm going to, you know, talk to the guy when he's, when he's setting it up or, you know, it's going to, it's just one of those things. I think it's a natural tendency as much as what I have is going to work. Like there's always like, just like you were talking to build that, that sex appeal of like the latest and greatest. Like, Ooh, man, that's the new one. I gotta, I gotta go check it out. So, so how do we avoid this or how to, or, or should we embrace it or, or uh, I guess what should be our reaction I think it's both worlds. I think you should embrace it, but I think you should also, you should learn that it doesn't necessarily mean that's what you need either. Like if you want to embrace it, you should be able to like, or, or if you want to upgrade something, you should be able to, but that doesn't mean that you have to, to be able to do what you love doing still. I don't know if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense, Chris. You know what? Keeping up with the Joneses, whether it's your yard, your house, your hunting equipment, there's always going to be someone who's got something that's going to be, quote unquote, bigger, better. And 
at that point, like, why are we out here? Why are we doing these things? And I boil it down to, I, I want to bring home quality, natural protein to my family. And that's, that's my end all be all for, uh, for hunting. So if I'm able to do that and I can successfully do it, like my setup is looking really good. You know, if, if there is some advancements, to recognize it, look at it and assess, is this going to help me bring home more quality protein? Then heck yeah, go with that. But that's something that I've set in front of me. That's, it's a check and balance. It's a mission statement. It's a vision that I have. Whereas if somebody else has a different vision of, I need to go further, lighter is going to help me go further, but then by all means get into this lighter space age stuff if your goal is to go have a great time with the guys at deer camp, you want to be able to, you know, play cards, cook a bunch of brats and go out there and have a great week in the woods. Well, assess, well, I, I do this for one week. Maybe I don't have to spend all this money. So I think even as guys are going through that, and I, I know it's kind of maybe a cliche thing, but to put on paper a mission statement or a vision of, of why you're doing this. And even this, if this is a hobby, then you know what? Great. Then keep it as a hobby. If this is the lifestyle, well then maybe assess it as a lifestyle at that point. So it seems like you have, uh, and I can't think of the, the quote or whatever, but it's there, I, there were three things I can only think of two of them, but they're like, I only bring it or get it if it'll make me go further or stay longer. And then there's another one, but I don't know, maybe be more efficient as a killer or whatever. But it seems like you had a line drawn in the sand where you said, you know, this, this arrow issue that you were having, you know, you, it didn't accomplish the job that you set out to do. You had everything in place and you got the deer where you wanted it. You were able to make a shot, um, but it didn't, it didn't equate the outcome that you were looking for. Um, outside of that, um, where is the line in the sand or le- like, so let's say that you're a mediocre hunter like myself and you're, you know, you, I, I mean, I don't have any, I, I, don't, I don't feel like I'll have any problem killing a deer. Like if you said you need to kill a deer I think I can go and find a deer and, and kill a deer. Um, but like, let's say I want to upgrade something like where, where is that line in the sand where you say like, do I need to upgrade? Yes or no. Like, man, all this marketing is saying I need a new bow. I need a saddle. I need this. Um, you know, so, so where is that line in the sand outside of like not killing or not killing? right i'm gonna defer to chris because man that's a heavy statement there adam we're gonna tell guys this is where you draw the line and stand man chris you get to take this one this is all yours (laughs) i mean once again it, it all comes down to you have to be comfortable with what you're doing so and and like he said if if you're doing it extracurricular as a habit or or as a uh just something fun to do, you know, then, okay, the the sky's the limit. If you have the money, then buy, 
buy whatever you want. Buy buy the best bowl you can. Buy the but it, to actually coming down to like what you're saying. So why are you killing the animal if you're if you're just going out to kill the animal? Are you going to kill the animal to eat it? Or are you going to kill the animal for trophy? Or are you going to? So that's I guess there's there's several categories onto why you would buy what you need for that job, and it. I, I love to eat the animals. So that's, to me, that that is my main goal first, that and the fun of the hunt. So, I mean, if I do not need the top-of-the-line gear, the top-of-the-line bow, the top-of-the-line, whatever I'm doing, the fishing pole, the top-of-the-line, you know, whatever it is, if, if I'm having fun while doing it and it's consistently, if I, you know, I guess if I miss three, four deer, and I find out that it is a piece of the equipment that's causing it, then okay, yes, I do need to upgrade that equipment. But so, so I, I guess you just want to say this, and what you're talking about just brings back a little memory of this last year, where you're talking about the fun of the hunt and uh, like when it's time to upgrade is what, what we're talking on now. Um, so Chris and I walked back about, uh, I'd say a mile, just just over a mile, I believe it is. Yeah. And then we are walking back, Chris, and I'll let you take it from there and we'll decide, maybe maybe we'll let Nick decide if it's time for you to upgrade something. So I'm not. <laughs> yes, I'm excited for this one. <laughs> I, I am not what, what you would call in marathon shape. All right. So uh, we walk out all this way and then it gets dark and we got a little bit turned around. One of us did. Well, all right. So, well, one of us followed the other one then. So we, we, as we were coming back and we finally get up back on track, by this time, I'm a little overheated from carrying this giant two-piece loggy bayou climber around in my bow and everything else. And I'd had all my equipment on still at this point. We made it not even halfway back to the truck yet at this point on the right path finally. And here comes the log. So I am uh, a short guy, I guess you would say, short frame, short legs. I made one leg over the log, and as the next leg went to go over the log, it clipped on the top of the log. And once the stand and my pack and all the weight went forward, I went right with it. So I nosedived down, and the stand's laying on top of me. And I just laid there for a minute. And then finally, Adam looks back and he's like, are, are, are you all right? And I'm like, yeah, nothing's hurt. I just I need, I need a second. You know, and, <laughs> need a break. <laughs> and so I was like, well, you got to come over here and get this stand off my back. So, I mean, I probably could have did it, but I was exhausted at this point. And I'm looking over and he's got this little saddle and a couple of, sta- or a couple of sticks with him. And I'm like, man, I, maybe it is time for a change. You know, maybe... Well, so then, <laughs> this uh, that you would think that that would be the end. Of it. So <laughs> we make it about a hundred yards from the truck. After I, we, you know, I got up. I'm doing good. And Adam's like, "You all right, man? Are you good?" And I'm like, "Well, hold on a minute." So then all of a sudden, my mouth starts salivating a minute, and I was like, "Hold on, hold on." I just set the stand down, and I, I might have went and threw up whatever I had, you know, the night before that. And then, <laughs> so then, then I was good though. Like once I did that, I got rid of all that, that excess that I didn't need. But and it just goes to show you too. You should, maybe you should you know eat better and get in shape and stuff before you go walking miles into the woods carrying poundages of stuff. And but that's my own fault. That's 
wasn't the gear I had. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Anyways. So so given that scenario, do you say I need to make different life choices or do I need to buy different gear? I, I would definitely I, I say life all, choices. All of the above here, Chris. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> oh man, that's how many guys have been there though? I'm sure there's been a point where they've just pushed too hard. I I find a crutch I in you know, the quick throw up, you know, you give yourself the second win. That's, that's been something that I've been, been known for as well. But yeah, a little, little bit of time on some self-improvement, you know, maybe, maybe a little stretching here and there. Mm. Let's start. We don't have to go hard. Let's just start out a little easy for sure. And, uh, you know, get it, get yourself a bike and do some biking a little bit. You know? <laughs> Let's work in the cardio, but to take on the Ironman public land challenge, uh, <laughs> straight after biscuits and gravy, it's not a good setup ever. No, it's you are absolutely correct. Uh, <laughs> carbs are not your friend in that point. And uh, but I will say this: uh, I think it was the next week or two we were right back in there, and we saw lots of deer the next two or three days. That we were actually a little bit further from where we were. So, um, it, and it just goes to show you that we were we were in the right spot. <laughs> and, and everything else i, I would have had the correct gear at that moment to do the job i just wouldn't have been able to get it out of there <laughs> <laughs> well hey as a as a fellow short guy and fully understanding the log situation you know as much as you know trees look daunting when they're vertical sometimes when they're horizontal and they're right around that three to four feet you know sometimes it's easier just to go under them suckers you know, I'm not even going to worry about going over. I'm going under. Um, you know, maybe it's time for a little bit of an equipment check and just knowing that you're going to be making these longer treks. I think your brother-in-law sitting right here with us, I'm sure he would loan out one of the many saddles that he has sitting there. He's probably going to ask you a full survey so that he can uh, talk about it later. But if you've got it at your your disposal, that might be... That might be a good route for you. And this has been the conversation for the past year, actually. <laughs> and, and he's like, you know, we've got several you can try out and everything else. So it's 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 coming down to it. Um, my whole thing with that is I think I would rather have uh, at least the little platform rather than just the because you run with the the just the top step on your yeah the artisan outdoor same thing that you're running, Nick. Yeah. I'm, ru- I'm running that little step and you know, it's working for me. Yeah. It, it, you don't need anything. I mean, if you like to stand up or if you, um, I, I don't know. Uh, for me, I just do not like having to set up anything additionally. And, and Chris and I have hunted close enough together plenty of times that he's seen me go up and down the tree and how I maneuver and, and use that thing. So, and it does. I, I like the efficiency of it. Like that is 100%. I get, I get where you're going with it. Um, but as, as me, like I kind of have some back problems every once in a while and I do like to stand a lot. So like, even when I'm hunting, even if I have a seat there, I'm, I'm still standing half the time. So like, that's, that would be my adjustment. I have to, I have to get in one. I have to just sit in one for a couple hours and see what, what, what it does. Um, and I'm thinking this year will be that, that adjustment. So pretty quick here. I'm, 
probably going to be sitting around in some saddles, you know. <laughs> so for your, you, Nick, we, we talked all this, uh, this, this stuff about the Traeger and these, uh, um, smoking and cooking, you know, we really didn't get into, you know, any of that side of it. So your podcast is basically kind of feel the table type cooking. Exactly. Exactly. You know, where you guys take over on the, before the shop, you know, I, I listen to your podcast and several others on, I need the help to, to get to the animal, find the animal, Let's figure out where I can get to, to bigger animals because uh, I mean they're going to have bigger loins. Let's let's not uh, let's not beat around the bush here. You know, bigger animals are going to have more meat, but at the same time, like where I take over is going to be after the shot. Like, bam, animals down. What are we doing at this point? And using, I mean, people have been doing again. People have been doing this for a millennia, as far as killing animals rather than scavenging and being able to then create something that's delicious. That's going to nourish, you know, their growing brains to have them continue to think more complex problems, create culture, yada, 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 human history. Um, but at the same time, like being able to create something amazing out of an adventure that I had getting an animal and being able to relive that story or to even just be able to create a meal that is delicious and not lackadaisically done. Whereas if you abuse wild game, it's not, it's not created in a controlled space like a domestic meat is. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't diss domestic. They, they, it provides a amazing palate and we still have some of the best food here in America, even locally where you can get from, from farmers and growers. But at the same time, like, taking something wild and then creating something that is delicious and different. It really, I want to say is it, it amplifies the, it brings the whole hobby, the whole adventure back to circle of why we're doing this, why we're going out there. And so being able to use traditional equipment, uh, you know, for example, cast iron or being able to do something over, over coals as opposed to uh, propane or natural gas, there's there's an element there of of play at that point where instead of taking a picture, I'm painting a portrait. If that makes any sense, it does. Sure. Um, one of the things that you said there, um, and this may catch you by surprise, I guess. So this is maybe a little bit out of left field, but you said. Um, you know, for millennia, um, people have been harvesting game rather than scavenging. Um, you, if anybody's following <laughs> along with your podcast, have become quite the scavenger of whitetail roadkill. Ooh. Um, so for for those of this, us, this I- is true. <laughs> I am have. Oh man, I've been caught. <laughs> so so for those of us out here that might i mean chris and i have certainly eaten roadkill that's an, i mean we've we've been party to to just that i am uh, not opposed to it but so for people out there who might be saying like how do you do that or when is it safe to eat what where do you make your distinctions um you know 
roadkill uh, etiquette? You know, could you could you kind of go down that road for us? Yes, um, folks. It, first off, you have to have zero shame. That is going to have to come along with this whole package of you. You have to go in with confidence. There's got to be zero doubt in your mind that you're going to be walking away with pieces and parts of an animal that has been smucked by a vehicle. Um, this, this past year I had the chance to do it and I was really kind of put to the test. I, I, people have seen me do this. In fact, I've had an encounter where I've actually approached someone who is getting a ticket from the police officer saying, or, uh, you know, the paper saying like, Hey, you hit it. Here's your write up. And I've walked up to be like, dude, are you okay? Oh, good. I'm glad everything's all right with you. So about this deer, <laughs> <laughs> go in that conversation. But I've with this uh, pandemic that happened, I decided to let my hair grow out. So I have, I have a longer mullet right now. And so it was in in its prime, uh, right around whitetail season. And I was actually dropping my son off at school before I had to go to a different school to teach for that day. And I'm driving along and I, I witness the accident happen. I see, I see the critter get hit. So instantly I, I, I'm like, Oh shoot. Like, do I have the time? Like immediately like assess my scenario of what, how much time do I have? And I have to take the boy to school first, drop him off and then haul butt down uh, down the road, got back to the spot. Deer was still there. Uh, pull over, get myself ready to go. I pull it out of the glove compartment, pull out the, the knife that I always have in there and began to go to work. And as I'm doing this, like light is still like kind of coming up. And I realized like I am alongside of a large housing development. There are like four to five homes, literally 50 yards from where I'm now crouched down next to this little button buck that just got hit. And I'm sure they have probably at these houses have named it, have fed it. And it's just like something they see every day. And as I'm taking off the one of the hindquarters and I'm lifting it up into the air, I look out in front of me and I see a Yukon come out and the look that I was given by this woman, like I, she was not looking at another human being at that point, just utter, like disgust and awe of like, what is this over here? And I could just feel the hair on the back of my neck flow off to the one side. And so I knew like there was just this, this picture that was painted for this individual of like, if, if I ever saw a hillbilly, this, this is what I have now seen right here. Please tell me you were in a Trans Am. Oh, <laughs> and what are you wearing I, I, at this point? <laughs> I was actually wearing uh, cargo shorts, which is usually a mainstay on me. And I think I had I had a sweatshirt on. Was it the Bow Hunting Chronicles sweatshirt? Oh, I really I hope, hope so. it was. I hope so. <laughs> and it's such but a shame. Anyway. It, it is such a shame, though, that that somebody can pull out and look at you in that situation and be like, "Wow!" Like, like how different you you shocked that person, obviously. But I mean. How is that any different than going to a butcher and getting a cut of meat and everything else? It shouldn't be any different. I mean, I guess the the roadkill aspect, yes, like they don't know you just watch that animal get hit. You don't know, you know they they don't yeah. know it's completely fresh. It's it's completely and instead of going to waste, you're actually 
coming through and and harvesting that. It's where- a pandemic. They got them. They're now cannibals. <laughs> they got them. <laughs> <laughs> but Chris, I think you hit the nail on the head too. There's something about like I don't know. It's if if nature's eating a- nature, people don't seem to have a problem with that. But at the same time, like you know, is and we could say that human encroachment on wilderness um, has affected animals and population and, and people can kind of dodge around that a little bit. But in this case of, you know, in, in the case of, of, of roadkill, it's it's someone's negligence behind the wheel that has killed that animal. And I, I mean, deer pop out all the time. They're quick. And you know what? People hit deer all the time for many various reasons is it maybe sometimes people are texting maybe they're not paying as much attention to the the road unfortunately well maybe fortunately i've not ever experienced hitting a deer myself now i'm going to knock on wood because i don't necessarily want to damage my vehicle but at the same time like i don't know maybe it's being a hunter that i'm already like oh there's a deer like i'm seeing the deer before it's crossed the road but now that I see the one laying there, there's there's an instant connection uh, or an instant like reaction of like this was without a doubt human negligence that has killed this animal. And will it go to waste? No, that thing will get scavenged, put right back in, you know, let's you know, cue circle of life from Lion King. It's all gonna get used. That's but there's just something about like a human ended that life. And now it's going to rot on the side of the road. And there's something about that, that maybe it's, I don't know. I feel it's, that's a waste. Is it, is it waste? No, but that's kind of my, my gut reaction is it's like, we go out and pursue these animals in their environment and we try to get as close as we can. And we celebrate that essence of that animal that we were then able to bring home. But at the same times we put that, on a work day and I'm late and I smoked that deer and now it's ah shoot now I gotta go to the shop like it's just a jarring difference but it all includes the same beautiful creature um for instance just to go along with what you said too I I think it's not necessarily a waste to mother nature but it's it's a waste to for what you're saying a human took that life and everything else it's 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 a waste for humans to you know to let that I guess it's not going to go to waste. Nature is going to take it. But, but for anyways, uh, going on that, my, my friend actually had a fawn run out in front of him, uh, just a couple nights ago. And actually he, he had no choice. Like the first one went in front of his truck. He almost stopped. And the second one went right underneath his truck. He felt it, everything else. And he said, when he passed, he, and it, this is almost midnight. He watched the fawn, take back off it got up from off the road and ran well the next morning he went out and for almost 45 minutes searched around for this thing and he said he was if he found it he was going to get a full body mount on this mount on this fawn just to because he didn't you know he felt so bad and everything else and this is a hunter it's not like you know and he's like i've taken i don't know how many lives a deer but he's like just to to do it with a, a vehicle is like it's not right you know and that was the way he claimed it but I guess right. So going back to eating roadkill, it's almost like you're. It doesn't make it right, but you're at least you're helping the fact of you know, it's not going completely to waste and everything else like you're saying and. Yeah. 
and to go, I mean, to then go along with like, okay, how do you feel confident about now picking up something that, you know, did get hit by a vehicle? Cause a lot of times you do, you walk up and not given the situation yet, yeah, it's, it, it's spoiled. You, you don't want that. And so I mentally go through a checklist to give myself the green light to, to take or the, the red light of it's, it's too far gone. I didn't get here in time. So depending on what, what you're seeing and what you're doing, um, if you can approximately guess the time of the collision, that's one way that you can assess whether this is still going to be pursuable or not. So I take the same way to work, um, that I do that I come home. So I see that route twice. So as I go to work, I'm seeing like if I see a deer there, I a new one that I didn't see the night coming back. I can approximately gauge that happened last night. And then at the same time, I'm going to work and I come home and I see a new deer. I know it happened sometime during the day. So there's there's an approximation there. I know that it was the night before or I would know I know that it was during the day that this happened. The second is going to be time of year. Most of the ones that I do happen to get are going to be in that December, January time where I know that uh, conditions are going to then hold that meat. That that deer is going to be there uh, for that length of time, but it's going to be chilled at that point. It's literally laying on a snowbank or it's, you know, sub-zero temperatures that that thing, if I get to it and I still feel the cavity and i still feel a little warmth i know that you know what probably anything in that gut is not going to be worthwhile but at the same time there's two haunches and two shoulders that can be assessed at this point so being able to not only with with time approximate of the collision but now conditions is that another green light giving me that if, if it's super cold hey we can continue this on if it's warm and i can't accurately tell when that critter went down i i gotta just leave it um you get the ones right around time here where you get does moving around to go fawning and they're going to be in some populated areas and you see a doe lay there and she's real big and bloated it's it's not worth it i mean it's 80 degrees right now or at least what do i got here i got you know 70 degrees and it's already 10 o'clock at night so anything at that point is going to be a a no-go just because of bacterial uh, exposure. Another thing I'm going to look at is where exactly that animal, animal got hit. If it got hit in the front and that, that front shoulders are just mangled, it, it's not worth the, the bone shards. It's not worth um, having to, to piece those apart. You're, you're not going to get anything valuable out of that. Vice versa, you get mangled back ends like, you know what? you got to let it go. You got to think about, um, the quality that you're going to get out of this. Is this, is this worthwhile to take? Um, and then at the same time, like how are you transporting it and how quickly can you get it chilled and processed? Um, if it's going to be something that you're going to throw in the back of your truck, go to work and leave it in there for all day. It, you know, that's just something you can't quite handle. But if you've got the time to be immediate upon, that resource and scavenge what you can 
uh, resourcefully, you know, it might be one of those things where you just can take the back straps out because that's the only thing that you can answer questions about. You know, if the legs are all mangled up, uh, you, you might as well just let it go. Hardly ever is it going to be a full, uh, what do I want to, what do I want to say? A full scavenge out of the entire animal. You're only going to get pieces and parts out Too of it much because of it wasn't. Yes. Yes. Just like, you know, you get bloodshot, uh, from, from a bullet wound and you got to cut around that, you know, now instead of a 45 caliber, we're looking at the front end of a Buick literally. So there's going to be some damage that's all done. Um, and at the same time, you got to know the clientele that you're going to be feeding it to. I purposely label my stuff as a, well, depending on the sex of the animal, I either call it a Sal being a buck or a Sally being a doe. And that just keeps it straight for me. Uh, it kind of leaves my family in the dark a little bit, but at the same time, like when I experiment on recipes, that's what I can go to. There's not the emotional attachment to that piece of meat. If I try something and it's it's worthy to go and be served to my dog. Like I don't have, I don't have the uh, emotional weight of say the critter that I actually went and put all this time in to harvest. Is there a, a distinguished distinction between the two animals? No, but there's an emotional weight that I have with one, and there's one that I don't with another. So, so if that if that breaks down at least a little bit of my system, that it it just goes into assessing your variables, giving yourself a green light of things that are like, is this going to produce quality meat? Yes or no. And go through that checklist each time. And that just gives you a safeguard so that you're not bringing, you know, you're not, you're not bringing nasty stuff into the kitchen. With, with what you just said too, I, I totally get what you're saying because uh, with the, like what you're saying, you don't, you don't get the same thing out of an animal that might got to hit by a car or, that you actually personally taken with archery or a gun or anything like that. So for instance, last year we were up at hunting camp and they have, I don't know how many people were up there, probably 15 of them. Well, two of the last guys to come back watched a, a small button buck get hit by a car. And it was literally a mile and a half away from camp. And they ended up, they, called the dnr they got a license for this animal and everything else and they brought back the whole animal but yet all we were able to salvage were the hind quarters and the back straps with that being said we took advantage of that and i had never cooked half a deer over an open fire so we were able to drop this deer we had already had a fire going and we dropped half this whole deer completely over an open fire seasoned started braising it with beer and everything and like and and we threw some cherry wood on the fire stoked it down and, and actually cooked two hind quarters of a whole deer right over the open pit fire with the loins. I mean, and it was just the experience to be able to do that. You know, it, you're like, man, if it comes out, not the greatest, you're like, okay, on one hand, this deer was going to, you know, go to the coyotes anyway on the side of the road, which it actually turned out quite fantastic. It was a little tough, but anyway. Hey, at that point, yeah, like you said, that is such an incredible experience culinarily where you're able to then like, I get to do one of the big fire, you know, the stake it down, put it over the fire at this point, you know, 
get to do all the, the fun stuff like you said. And that's an experience you got to share with people. Um, and there was freedom in that because it was like this was going to go to waste. Now it's a gift that you were granted in order to get to do this. Right. And it was it was not necessarily maybe the best way of cooking an animal of that, you know, it but it was it was definitely edible. It was I definitely would have fed it to my dog too. Like I, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things I want to know about is like as we're getting into summertime and stuff, like do you have like a a go to like brat recipe uh for venison or something like that? Um, man, brats are so much a, a pe- there's going to guys that, that love their specific type of brat. Um, I, I love a jalapeno cheddar mixed with pretty much any protein, be it beef, be it pork. Um, I'm going to have to agree with brat. you, Nick. <laughs> yeah. It's just a setup that it, it just goes so good. And I've talked about that with a couple individuals and immediately they've been shut off and they're just like, no, 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 I, I don't do jalapeno or I, I don't do this, but I really love a barbecue brat. I, I like a real like sweet brat. And at that point too, it's like all of a sudden these, these flavors come back and forth. Like I, I like a heat as opposed to a sweet on a brat. If I'm going to get my sweetness, that's going to come from my, my condiments that go on top of it. Um, but as far as like something that I want to do, this summer that is going to be kind of like something that I can do over. I want to have a good play with food. And I go back to a recipe that I did actually a couple of years ago. Um, I was having some new folks to our house that they were, they, they don't really have wild game. That is something that they, they came uh, living in the suburbs. They stayed in the suburbs, but hunting was never a big, big part of their life. And that's why I wanted to serve that night. And so I was like, shoot, how do I, how do I make this something that's approachable, but at the same time, like not take, not take everything away from it. Hey, hold on, buddy. I'll, I'll be with you in just a little bit. Okay. Um, so the one thing that I'm really thinking about right now is a little bit of like a, a Middle Eastern uh, serving of, of venison. Because a lot of times that in the Middle Eastern uh, cuisine, lamb is used, mutton is used, and I find that those same quote-unquote gamey flavors apply back and forth to the two. So euros was a big thing that I did for these individuals, and they just got a huge kick out of it. Now, I kind of mixed the idea of a kebab and the euro. I didn't, I didn't layer up all the like the meat and then like slice it off where you know it's on the the vertical spit but i i ended up chunking out um a couple roasts in fact i used the inside round uh for that and i chunked it up into like inch quarters and i ended up or inch pieces and ended up putting that into a, a marinade and that marinade was full of a lot of really pungent flavors uh cinnamon i used cumin coriander and I want to say I had a, a little bit of cayenne in that as well, just for a touch of heat. But it really was heavy on the spice just because that's how things are used over there. And skewered those up after a good sit in the fridge and then put those directly on the coals. I went with like a, a caveman style cook on that where there was no grate there. I literally took the kebab, put it straight onto the bed of coals there. And it's 45 seconds aside. Literally let it do its thing, rotate it, let it do its thing, rotate it, 
And when I pulled it off, you had a really hard char on the outside, but a beautiful medium rare on the inside. And so then be able to come up to the table with these kebabs and have a tzatziki sauce, uh, yogurt based has uh, cucumber in it, lemon, a couple other little spices in there as well, but easily whip that up. You had your fresh tomato and um, some lettuce there. And I, I, unfortunately I had to go store bought pita. I hadn't gotten into making my own pita bread yet, but anyway, to be able to put that together and serve that up, I can't think of a better meal, a better summertime meal than something like that, where it's like you get together and you get to assemble your own. And at that point, like you could take a bite and you got the crispness of the the lettuce, but at the same time you got the meat just done the way that you wanted it done. And the tang from the, tzatziki sauce with that that pita bread it all just worked out like i couldn't think of anything better to have on a hot summer night well that sounds fantastic my I mouth see. is absolutely <laughs> watering dude chris like, is over here like making like like bodily motions oh. and, like he's he, i mean he's he's you know I, is he rubbing his belly clockwise rubbing a lot of different things over here nick i'm not gonna lie it's oh. thighs bellies everything it's i'm sweating now i think i got the meat sweats and i didn't even eat anything yet so so for people who aren't familiar with your podcast or like they want like say they want more of this kind of recipe they want more of this kind of stuff like where can people follow along and i know you're doing some videos and you're you're doing some recipes and some other stuff like where can they find all that yeah um uh, currently i'm over at sportsmansnation.com that's where a lot of my uh, episodes are housed over there my recipes are housed on there as well at on the blog um I'm trying to get a few more out for this summer, so stay tuned to that. Like this Euro, I want to get that printed out because it was such a success. And I think it's it's one of those things that even guys that are um, entry level that want to do something that's with a little bit of wow factor, this is right up their alley. It doesn't take a lot. It just takes the, the effort to do it. So follow the steps, and it should, should get you right where you want to go. Um, but I do a lot of communication and a lot of stuff over at Instagram, and that'll be at, at Huntivore. Um, I'm also on Facebook, uh, hunt of war podcast. And then I'm also trying to get my go wild up and moving a little bit more. So I'm also, I'm there at just my name, Nick Otto. So go ahead and give that a follow as well. Um, but yeah, I've got a couple videos on YouTube as well through the sportsman's nation, just doing a couple, um, how to's on butchering, um, for guys that are really getting into to butchering their own stuff, maybe it's their first year. Maybe they're just looking for a little direction. Check those out as well. Awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate it. It's always a good conversation. Um, like I said, we, we just need to get together more. Um, definitely this year in hunting season, I want to have you come and do some butchering for us and kind of teach us how to uh, break it down into the individual cuts because that's something that's, I mean... I think everybody can benefit from, but that's something that where I I envy you for for being able to do that. So we'll definitely have to do that. Um, yeah, I love it. The, Dex- the Dexter bag is ready to go. I'll have my knives sharp and ready to cut some Benny. Awesome. Thanks, man. All right. Hey, have a good night. Yep, yeah, you too.